This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. This week, I have Tears of Price, whose debut, Pride and Premeditation, is out now from Harpertine. And in this episode, Tirza and I get into her background, uh, how she came to writing her love of books, and what brought her to uh, Pride and Premeditation, as well as the future books she has for us. So listen in. So Tirza, what book hooked you? Oh, so many books have hooked me throughout the years. But when I was thinking about what books I wanted to talk about for this podcast, I was actually kind of returning to two different books that are kind of similar that I discovered when I was in middle school, maybe early high school. And these are notable because I have very vivid memories of walking into my public library and like, picking them up off the shelf. And so the first one is The Ruby and the Smoke by Philip Pullman. And the second one is A Great and Terrible Beauty by Libba Bray. And these were like totally my catnip when I was, uh, you know, that age, because they are historical, but they also are genre bending. And that Ruby and the Smoke has this great mystery at the center. Uh, and then A Great and Terrible Beauty has historical fiction and fantasy woven in. And I think that these stand out to me so much. And the reason why I kept coming back to them and checking them out over and over again in my library was because I, at that age, had not yet discovered um, genre bending in the way that mm. Libba Bray and Philip Pullman did that. And I was I totally like hooked, just totally. Mm. And did you mention our, what, so what age did you come upon these two? Oh, I can't remember exactly, but I definitely feel like it was late middle school, like mm. probably eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade. Mm. My mom used to drop me off at the library and I would I would stay there for probably about an hour and, I, and then I would walk to meet her um, where you know, she'd pick up my brothers and I would always have this giant stack of books. And that is kind of how I I remember my late middle school years. Mm. So obviously you were a big reader. What kind of previously to this kind of uh, turning point for you, what was kind of your go-to type of book as, as a kid, as you know, elementary, early middle school? What, was, what did you normally gravitate towards? When I first became an independent reader, I was mad about historical fiction. Mm. And I can trace that back to my mom reading me the Little House on the Prairie books when I was a kid. And she loved them growing up. And then she passed that on to me. And I mean, now it's I, I kind of cringe because sure. they are not not the best in terms of representation and the racism that is depicted there. But that was what got me into historical fiction. And then from there, it was like, you know, the American Girl books, the Dear mm. America books, anything that was like basically put out by Scholastic or any of those companies where they just had historical fiction as a franchise sure. I was super into and I kept looking for those books when as I got older and as I started to explore the library a bit more 
And I was, I would read contemporary fiction as well because I, you know, discovered Meg Cabot when, like, the early 2000s when she was kind of reaching, you know, first becoming popular. Mm -hmm. But uh, the the historical fiction has always been something I've I've loved. Uh, And then uh, naturally, you know, picking up the Philip Pullman book and uh, A Great and Terrible Beauty, like those, those totally appealed to me. But yet, I the reason they stand out is because they were so much more than like, you know, this is life in historical times. I mean, like I've read a lot of like, American West um, type Mm. of historical fiction. And this was completely different because it was magic and mystery and murder and intrigue. And it was also, you know, I don't think I knew a lot about uh, the history of England and Great Britain at the time. So it was like, oh, Victorian time period. Like this is all new to me. And that then kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of like a lot of British historical fiction. Mm. And so then if this was middle school and as we moved into high school uh, with with your previous love of historical fiction and then and then kind of being opened up between Ruby and the Smoke and A Great and Terrible Beauty, what how did you then what books were you then pursuing? Like what were the next steps? Like if these were if these two books were like gateway drugs for you, what did you go chasing after next? Um, really, I became very interested in fantasy which was not something that I aside from liking Tamara Pierce Mm -hmm. in middle school um, I really had not explored a lot of fantasy so I, I yeah when I think about high school that was definitely a time when I you know was tearing through Robin McKinley and um, you know I think I read The Lord of the Rings for the first time when I was a freshman in high school there were just so many great fantasy reads that I enjoyed but I also think of high school as the time when I really started reading beyond genre or I guess I should say I started caring less about genre and more Mm -hmm. just about devouring books Mm -hmm. Um, and I really really would just yeah basically anything and everything and and then it was probably in college when I discovered mysteries again uh, which kind of is you know what led me to wanting to explore mysteries and historical fiction and that definitely influenced my writing as well Hmm. so let's let's talk about the writing with all the writing you are with all the reading you were doing when did you first kind of have that idea that being a writer, creating my own stories was something that you would want to pursue? I knew it from a very young age. And I I mean, I'm not sure if I can pinpoint exactly when maybe it was probably around middle school and high school, like those that like sort of bridge um, between those years. I, I want to say that that was probably around the time that I discovered um, books on the internet, which sounds mm-hmm. kind of funny, but you know, this was like the early 2000s. And so there was not a whole lot of like publisher outreach mm-hmm. on 
on the internet. Like I didn't even have social media at the time. Um, I didn't even have like MySpace and Facebook was not, not quite there yet. So I would, you know, discover like message forums and, and publisher websites and blogs. Blogs were huge. And I actually wrote my own blog for many years um, just because there were not, people in my world in my in my real life that were as into books as I was so that was definitely a way to connect with people and I started connecting um with authors and finding authors on the website and I think when I realized like oh authors are real people who keep blogs and they're online and you know you could email them not that I emailed many authors when I was that age but you know you could go to their websites I started Mm -hmm. to like realize like oh they're real people and like this is their job and they have new books coming out and they they write and they share stuff about their writing online and I was like okay yeah I this is what I want to do um and of course I think it took you know a very long time for me to realize like okay, but how to do that practically? Because Mm. I was always a writer, um, but it really took until I was in college that I started to take writing very seriously. And, um, you know, just realized that like, okay, if I want to actually reach the goal of publication, it's (laughs) going to take, you know, more than just uh, writing whenever you feel inspired. So when you kind of started to take it seriously, was was there kind of an event or something that kind of really lit that fire under you to really take it seriously? And then off of that, what did you do to take it seriously? Like, how did you go about like buckling down to pursue it? Oh, this is going to sound really terrible, but (laughs) basically I was in college and I was about to graduate. Like I, I knew I would be graduating at the end of the academic year. And I was an English major and I love being an English major, but I was also kind of like, what am I going to do after mm-hmm. May? Sure. I, I have no idea. Like I was working as a bookseller part time and I love that. But I also knew that there was like no full time job waiting for me <laughs> after that. And so I, I, I kind of was like, well, I, I either need to figure out my career and what I'm going to do as a job or I'm going to have to like, you know, kind of put my money where my mouth is and actually get serious about writing and figuring out how to make that a job. And, but still that didn't like solve the problem of me not knowing what I was going to do after graduation. So I started applying to MFA programs Mm. and um, luckily, you know, I have a very supportive um, family and my parents were like, yeah, okay. You know, we, we trust that you're going to figure this out and you're going to be responsible about it. And so one of the MFA programs that I applied to was Vermont College of Fine Arts, um, MFA in writing for children and young adults. And I applied to that program because there were so many authors that I read and loved that had graduated from that program and had like written about it and their author bios in the back of their books. And so I was like, okay, this place seems legit. And I applied and honestly, I didn't expect to get in because I was so young Mm. and I was just, you know, coming out of college and I I did, I got in and I was absolutely floored, but like completely and utterly delighted. And so I, um, you know, lived with my parents and I worked at the bookstore and took as many hours as I could and did all of these, um, you know, side hustles and part-time gigs. Uh, And then I was getting my MFA and it was a really, really magical time in my life because 
I was surrounded by people who did take writing very seriously and I was being taught by working writers and I learned like how to how to have a life but then also how to you know have your life and make writing a part of it and that was really really valuable for me and I think it was also just a really good way to know how how to be an adult who writes because not everybody can have the type of writing career where that is the only thing you do. Mm. And so it was very practical in terms of I learned how to balance working and a personal life and still making time for writing. And so many people around me were doing the same thing. And so I felt really supported. And I also learned just so much in my MFA program. And so I think that's, you know, the single best thing I've ever done for my writing life was to get an MFA. Although I will say that with a caveat that an MFA definitely is not required for publication. There are plenty of writers who don't have them. Um, But it just happened to work for me. So before going into the MFA program or maybe as you were going through it, was your – how did you – um, what did you imagine yourself writing is ba- is the basic question. Were you oh. always set on YA? Was there certain genres or categories you kind of were initially imagining your, yourself the writer of? I Yes, I've always wanted to be a YA writer. And that is the magic of, of VCFA as a program is that the concentration is in YA and children's literature. So nobody ever was like, well, no, you, you have to write other things too, or um, YA isn't, you know, legitimate because that is a problem in some MFA programs. I always knew I wanted to write YA, but I really wrote in a lot of different genres and I, I just really wanted to, I think, learn as much as possible and try as many new things as possible uh, because that was kind of the culture in my MFA program. It was, you know, you are here to learn. Um, You really shouldn't be focusing on writing the perfect novel to be published at the end of these two years because um, we want to teach you how to be a good writer. And so I did embrace that. And I wrote contemporary YA. I wrote science fiction. I wrote fantasy. Um, I, I did try my hand at like a, a middle grade novel. I was not very good at it, um, but it was a lot of fun. So then when I graduated, I had, you know, most of a, a contemporary novel. And that's what I ended up polishing off and querying. And that novel, unfortunately, didn't sell and neither did the next one I wrote. And so I was really frustrated because, you know, I'd written these two books and they'd gone on submission and they had gotten a lot of really polite, you know, rejections. And nobody really was like saying the same thing, like, you know, you need to work on this or here's what's wrong with this. And so when it came to like figuring out my next project, I was I was pretty um, I was pretty disheartened. Like I just, I, I needed something completely new. And so that was kind of where like, I'm going to write a really funny and sort of madcap historical murder mystery, Jane Austen retelling. Hmm. So let's start talking about uh, this book in question, your debut pride and premeditation. Uh, give us a synopsis of what the book's about. 
Yes. So it is a murder mystery retelling of Pride and Prejudice, and it is set in a a historical Regency era. So I really was keen on keeping like that same time period of Pride and Prejudice, but um, it's a little bit um, anachronistic in that Lizzie Bennett is a 17-year-old aspiring barrister, and her father has a law firm that is not doing so hot at the start of the book. And she really wants to be um, trained in like a legal career, even though there are no women who practice law. And she decides to get her dad to take her seriously. She is going to solve her own like legal case. And so she is on the lookout for Um, things that she can take on to prove herself when she catches wind of a murder. And a Mr. Charles Bingley is accused of murdering his brother-in-law. And so she goes to him and she says, I want to represent your case. But of course, the problem is that uh, Mr. Bingley already has uh, legal representation in the form of a young Mr. Darcy. Mm. So Lizzie and Mr. Darcy are going head to head and trying to solve this mystery, trying to clear Bingley's name, and they kind of keep stumbling over each other in their respective investigations. That's great. Where was, where did you first get the inspiration? Because obviously uh, Pride and Prejudice is is clearly the inspiration but when was how did the idea come about to take this beloved story and twist it like this um well it was something that you know my editor had kind of talked about and and had this idea for like something that was you know, a retelling, but kind of Agatha Christie like, Mm. and it would be fun. And I thought, yeah, I can run with this. And so, um, you know, I wrote like the first 30 pages, 35 pages. Um, it was, it was basically like the first couple of chapters and, um, it was just, it was a lot of fun and it kind of felt at the time, like, Um, you know, I was giving myself permission to just have fun and do something completely sort of indulgent and, Mm -hmm. and just something that I would make me laugh and have, um, you know, make me remember why I loved writing because I was kind of at a point in my life where I was like, I'm just, you know, I'm so discouraged. Like I love writing, but, um, the publishing business is so hard to break into. So I actually, you know, was taking the summer and I was rereading a lot of Jane Austen and I had read Jane Austen in high school and I'd read Jane Austen in college, but I don't think I really truly appreciated the humor and like the social satire and everything that was going on in Pride and Prejudice and um, like Sense and Sensibility and Mansfield Park until I read them again as an adult. And then from there it was just like, I don't know, the ideas were just flowing. I, I was so excited to just dive in. And with a retelling like this, uh, when you're when you're kind of source material, your inspiration is such a well-known, uh, well-known book, well-known story. Was how did you kind of weigh uh, in your storytelling how much you wanted to use from the original plot structure of the story versus, uh, you know 
putting your own spin on it and the different wrinkles that you were adding to your book? That is a good question. So I would say that these books have like the heart of the original characters, but completely different plots. So yeah, when I was deciding to like what would happen in actually outlining the book, I wanted to, um, you know, just kind of give myself permission to kind of be a little wild and just throw ideas around and see what would work and how it would all come together. Um, so you do have, you know, most of the characters of the original books and um, their personalities and their motivations are, you know, mostly intact there. Uh, but just putting them in completely different situations and scenarios was really fun. And uh, because I was kind of reinventing the plots as I went along, um, I really wanted to have something about the book kind of feel grounded to the source material. So I would often return to the original books and read them and really take a good close look at character and how the various characters behaved and like how they would react in certain situations, how they would respond to other people. Um, that was really fun because I, you know, I would go through and I would like underline lines that I especially loved and I could, you know, because they're in the public domain, mm -hmm. I could lift those lines sure. word for word and put them in my own um, writing, but then, you know, twist the meanings a little bit or put them in different contexts or sometimes, you know, give these lines to other characters. Um, so that was also another way to just kind of tie it into um, yeah, the original books. I, I'm telling people that I think that if you like Austin's work, you can have fun reading these books. But if you've never read an Austin novel, that is totally okay, too, because you can probably just dive in and mm. enjoy the mystery and watching it unfold. And am I right in seeing that this won't, this won't be the only book like this, that you have plans to uh, do similar things with other Jane Austen books? Yes. So the next book is Sense and Second Degree Murder, and it will be out hopefully next spring. I'm working on revisions on that one right now. And that um, recasts the uh, Dashwood sisters as unlikely sleuths after their father's death, which turns out might have been a murder. And then I'm going to be writing uh, a retelling of Mansfield Park called Manslaughter Park. And mm. I'm still kind of diving into that one in, you know, really early stages of drafting. Um, but it's a lot of fun. And so when did that sort of opportunity open up where you're not just writing one, you're writing both that you kind of have to prove yourself to the publisher with this first book and then... They said, okay, give us more. Or was it all kind of a package deal? I was very lucky. Yeah, I was very lucky in that they wanted all three books. Mm. And so, you know, we had a, a proposal for each of the three books to kind of lay out um, you know, the the basic plot structures and the ways that we would be changing them up. And then as I've gone along, I'm 
writing out like a chapter by chapter outline and sending that to my editor for her approval. And and that's been really great because I've never had like the fortune of writing a book where I have an editor at the very beginning who's saying, okay, you know, what's this book? What's it about? You know, where, where are the plot beats and what are we going to be doing with the characters? And so it's kind of been nice to, to have somebody kind of bounce ideas off of knowing like, this is the editor, you know, she's going to tell me, you know, hope, you know, she's going to tell me what she wants or, or what might be the best mm-hmm. um, way to go. But at the same time, it's been like a very collaborative and, and very, um, really fun kind of creative partnership. Um, so yeah, that's what we did with the second book is, is I, um, she really looked over the, the plot outline and then I started writing and I showed her the complete draft when I was done with it. And now we're in the revision stage and we're in the plotting and outlining stage for book three. So it's been a very fun and new to me way to write a book, but I've enjoyed it. And I'm just so grateful that Harper wanted all mm-hmm. three. And on top of uh, being influenced by Jane Austen books, you also have the fact that there's a mystery element in all three of these. Uh, how much plotting from beginning to end till crime to solving the case do you have before starting these books? Oh, I have pretty much everything figured out before I sit down and write, mainly because... I feel like I would write myself into a corner mm. if I didn't have a roadmap. Sure. Um, I try not to have, you know, like too much written down and figured out um, because sometimes that can kind of lead to some frustration where I feel like I have to write things a certain way. And so it's kind of a balancing act to to have enough of a roadmap for me to know and where I'm going and to have the confidence to sit down and write, um, but also leaving some wiggle room in the outline so you can kind of explore and, you know, get to chapter eight and have a great idea and figure out like, okay, how can I work this into what I already have? Uh, I never write a very clean or um, sensical mystery mm the first <laughs> draft like uh, my first drafts are always like okay but wait what happened to you know this guy over here and and how did they end up here and how did they figure out or or how did they know that they needed to be in this location at this time so that's where revision is really um very much where a lot of the connections and like the little things start to come together uh but it is a lot of balls to be juggling at one Mm -hmm. time and um yeah it's i've learned a lot about plotting while writing these books and so we've talked a lot about writing so but let's talk a, a little bit about your reading life do you first off uh how widely do you read as far as categories and genres? And like, do you have like an average, like yearly, like goal for reading? Give me kind of the details of, of how you get through books. I am very much a stats nerd. So (laughs) I definitely, I I keep track of um, everything that I read and I read very widely because my day job is contributing editor at Book Riot. And I do a lot of different things for Book Riot. I um, co-host the Read Harder podcast, which is our podcast dedicated to 
reading challenges. Uh, we have a reading challenge each year um, that's totally designed to get people reading outside of their comfort zone. So I'm reading a lot of different books for that podcast every year. I also co-host the All the Books podcast, which is our weekly uh, new release podcast. And I do one episode or I do a couple episodes a month um, for that. So I'm also constantly reading new releases for that. Uh, but then my my loves are YA and I also really love mystery novels and, you know, YA adult doesn't matter. Love them. So, yeah, I generally for the last couple of years have read between like uh, 110, 140 books a year. Mm-hmm. It kind of just depends on the year. And mm-hmm. I read, um, you know, print, uh, ebook, audiobook. I, I'll read it all. Uh, my preference is print, but when I'm doing so much work reading sure. as I do, I, I have to kind of not be picky. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that at any given point. In time, I can pull up my very extensive reading spreadsheet, mm-hmm. um, and you, I can have everything broken down by like author and genre and age category and format. And I try to read pretty widely um, when it comes to genre, but um, my stats usually break down to about like 60% children's and in, in YA, 40% um, adult. And my most read genres are probably going to be like general fiction, mystery, historical fiction, um, and maybe like fantasy coming in after that. So yeah, I just, I read all sorts. Um, and I actually build this very extensive reading spreadsheet. Um, and uh, it's available at Book Riot if you would mm-hmm. like to check it out, um, because you can definitely like copy it and use it for your own reading. Um, I have so much fun with it. Great. Well, let's wind things down. And as we do, I'll ask you a few questions. The first one, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? I am going to fudge a little on this one <laughs> and say 10 Things I Hate About You, okay. which is based off of The Taming of the Shrew by William Shakespeare, which is a play, not a book. But um, I love 10 Things I Hate About You. I've loved it since the very first time I saw it, like probably almost 20 years ago. Very good. Yeah, I don't consider that a fudge at all. I think that's well within oh, God. Well within good. the question. <laughs> Next question, though. Is there a book or a series you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Oh, I don't finish a lot of books, which maybe sounds terrible, (laughs) but given the, uh, the nature of my job where I'm, you know, reading and looking at a lot of different things and considering a lot of different things for coverage on book riot, um, I, you know, if I don't, if I'm not like hooked within the first probably 25, 30 pages, I do stop. Uh, but one series that I have not finished and I desperately need to finish and want to finish and just need to make the time for is um, Savat Tahir's um, Number in the Ashes series. Mm. Like I read the first two books and I was completely blown away. Love that fantasy so much. And then I don't think the third or fourth books were out yet. So I was kind of waiting. And then the third book came out and I didn't get to it. And then the fourth book has just now come out and I still haven't gotten to it. But maybe this year, maybe this summer. Great. And finally, what is the last great book that you've read? 
The last like really excellent book that I read was The Wide Starlight by Nicole Esperance. Um, and that just came out here in February. And it is this really gorgeous book um, that is about a 16-year-old girl who lost her mom 10 years earlier when they were standing out on a frozen fjord in Norway and her mom whistled at the northern lights and got swept away and left her behind. And now that she's a teenager, she's living in Cape Cod and the northern lights dip south and she's able to see them. And that's pretty rare for Cape Cod. So she whistles at them and they return her mother, but her mom is not the same. Mm. So it's it's a really lovely book that has like a lot of fairy tale and and um, sort of mythology elements to it. Um, But it's also this really great story about family and finding home. And I loved it so much. That's great. Well, Tara, Pride and Premeditation is actually out now to anybody that's listening to this. Congratulations. And we can't wait to see the other two books you have coming. Thank you so much for having me and talking about books. It was a lot of fun. And that's a wrap on this episode. I want to thank Tirza for joining me. Her debut, Pride and Premeditation, is out now. Hope you'll check out this book and be ready for uh, her other books that she has coming out in the future. Sense and Second Degree Murder, Manslaughter Park. But make sure you pick up Pride and Premeditation to be ready for those. If you haven't already, check out some of her other episodes. Subscribe to the podcast and feel free to reach out through email, through Twitter, through Instagram, and tell us what you think of the podcast. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.